Well, today we're coming close to the end of our message series called Bond Servant. A bond servant is a servant of Jesus Christ, somebody who lays down their life in order to serve their master. A servant is also, can also be a warrior or a soldier for their captain, for their commanding officer. And so today our message is entitled, Fight the Battle. Fight the Battle. If we look around our world today, there are many armed conflicts, many of which we don't even hear about. Last year, in 2014, there were four armed conflicts in our world that resulted in more than 10,000 deaths. An additional 10 conflicts had more than 1,000 deaths. An additional 18 conflicts had more than 100 deaths. A lot of armed conflicts. And these physical armed conflicts are simply symptoms, outward symptoms of a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle that's ongoing in our world, the unseen war between the kingdom of God and the dominion of Satan. And every person, whether we know it or not, is aligned with one of these sides or the other in this unseen spiritual battle. On the side of the kingdom of God are believers. On the side of the dominion of darkness are unbelievers. And the sides are in constant conflict. The Bible talks repeatedly about our responsibility as warriors in this conflict. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12 and the scriptures are written out in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. I encourage you to, to look at that. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Now that's a command, that's not a suggestion. As believers, we are to fight. But it's the good fight of faith. It's a good fight. It's a fight of and for the faith. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so as warriors of Jesus Christ, we don't fight with swords. We don't fight with machine guns. We do not use the weapons of the world. We fight with spiritual weapons. And these spiritual weapons are empowered by God to destroy not physical objects, but to take down spiritual fortresses that stand in the way of God's kingdom. Now, what is the goal of this battle? What are the two sides fighting over? The battle is over the most valuable thing on this planet. It's not gold. It's not silver. It's not land. The battle is over people created in the image of God. The people on Satan's side have been taken captive by him to do his bidding. Many do not even realize that they're in captivity, that are fighting on the enemy's side. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And so the goal of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is to rescue people from this dominion of Satan, from this dominion of darkness, and to bring them into God's kingdom, to bring them into God's army. That's what this whole battle is about. Now, the battle is even more complex than what we've talked about so far this morning. There are other powerful spiritual beings involved in the warfare. On the side of the kingdom of God is an amazing hierarchy of, of incredible angelic beings. The Bible tells us this, these angels provide help to believers. And they also war against their evil counterparts. Because on Satan's side is a, fallen, uh, is a hierarchy of fallen angels. 
And they wage war against God's angels and against those believers who follow Jesus Christ. And Satan's goal is to capture people and to take them to hell with him for eternity. God's goal, of course, is to rescue people from Satan's clutches, bring them into the God's kingdom where they'll be with him forever in heaven. And so those are the two sides. Now the ultimate end of the war is not in conflict. Jesus has won the war on the cross. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so the, the war is won. We fight individual battles, but the war is won. And as believers, because of Christ's victory, we have power over the enemy. We have power over Satan and his minions as we fight the battle. So we're going to look at a passage from Ephesians chapter 6 this morning about spiritual warfare. And to give us a preview, I'd like us to watch a, a short video about this passage entitled Spiritual Warfare. As the time when Jesus is going to return gets closer, the battle intensifies. And in order to fight the battle, we must be strong in the Lord. Doesn't matter if you're a child, doesn't matter if you're a young person, doesn't matter if you're middle-aged or older. We all need to be strong in the Lord. doesn't matter what your physical strength is. What matters is our spiritual strength. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We can't fight a spiritual battle in our own strength. We must learn to rely on God's power, relying on God's strength. Ask for his strength when we're in the midst of the fight. Whether we know it or not, we're in a fight, we're in a battle each in every day of our lives. As we're strong in the Lord, we can stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil is cunning. He comes up with plans. He comes up with strategies. He comes up with schemes to defeat you and your family. His schemes involve using temptations. And he knows the temptations that you are especially vulnerable to. And those are the ones that he's going to use against you. He's going to tempt you with something different than he tempts the person next to you because he knows that you are weak in different areas. He knows how to accuse you. Satan knows how to accuse you in areas that are going to make you feel defeated, that are going to make you feel discouraged. Satan knows how to intimidate you. He knows how to cause you to fear. He knows how to cause you to worry. The devil has plans to deceive you, especially in areas where your understanding of God's word is weak. He wants to deceive you and lead you into deception. The devil's plans involve driving wedges between spouses and marriages. His schemes involve driving wedges between parents and children, between believers in a church family. And how can you stand against those schemes? By putting on, the Bible says, the full armor of God. We're going to talk more about it in a minute, what it means to put on this full armor of God. Our battle is against evil spiritual forces, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now this is a very very important verse to understand. So often, we think that our struggles, we think that our problems, our trials in life are caused by other people. 
If only so-and-so hadn't done such to me. If only this person hadn't done that. The Greek word here for struggle implies hand-to-hand combat. An intense struggle. But this verse clearly tells us that we're not struggling against human beings. We're not struggling against flesh and blood. Our fight isn't against other people. So don't get mad at them. Don't hit back at them when somebody does something to you that you don't appreciate. What we're struggling against is levels of spiritual evil powers that actually can manipulate people to do their end. Satan is not omnipresent as God is. So it's unlikely that Satan himself is tempting you. Most likely it's one of his demonic minions, one of his many levels of evil forces that are carrying out his schemes. And these evil forces range from the demons the Bible tells us about that oppress people, that tempt people, that even possess people, to evil powers that are over cities and even over nations, according to the Bible. And so what is the first thing we must do in the battle? Are we any match for these evil spiritual forces? No, not in our own power, not in our own strength. The first thing we must do is to put on God's armor. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. And so this full armor of God is not just armor that God supplies, it's it's actually the armor that God himself wears in battle. Isaiah 59, 12 speaks of the Lord himself putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. And so God offers his armor to us. This armor of God protects us against the devil's schemes, the devil's battle tactics, so that we can be strong in the Lord. Now notice in this verse it says, does the verse say, put on the full armor of God so that if the day of evil comes? Did I read it right? Now it says, when the day of evil comes. Circle the word when. The day of evil is going to come. It's going to come in your life. It's going to come repeatedly. You're going to have to engage this day of evil when the devil or his demonic forces come against you. And when it comes against you, you better be sure that you have this full armor on, because if you don't, you're not going to be able to stand. And if you don't stand, you're going to fall. And something very bad is going to happen to you. And so you and I are, and we will be in the battle of with evil. So we must be prepared for that battle. Now let's talk more about how to apply these truths to our lives. Many people don't understand the armor of God. First of all, contrary to what many people think, as a believer, you do not have this armor on automatically. You do not have this armor on automatically. When God's word commands us to do something, it means it's not automatic. So if God says, put on the armor, it's something we have to do. You don't automatically have the armor on just because you're a believer. If we don't obey God's word, if we don't put on this armor, then something really bad is going to happen. And so what is going to happen to us if we don't put on God's armor on a daily basis? What's going to happen to us is one of these days, an evil day is going to come, the devil and his minions are going to attack us, and they're going to severely injure us. Because we don't have this defensive armor on. 
And when we don't have the armor on and the devil wounds us, what does that mean? Without armor, you will succumb to temptation. And you're going to fall into sin. Without armor, you may become addicted, which is just, which happens after you repeatedly sin. You're going to become addicted to various sins or substances. Without armor, you're going to fall prey to sickness, to accident, or even death. Without armor, you're going to have financial difficulties, job difficulties, relationship problems. And I could go on and on. I trust that you get the picture. Many of the difficulties that believers encounter in life are because they do not have their spiritual armor on. Now, only Jesus perfectly had the armor on, and we understand that even he was persecuted and put to death on the cross. So having your armor on doesn't mean you're never going to have any difficulty, but it does mean you'll be able to stand against the attack, remain true to God, and have the victory in your life. So how do we put on God's armor? God's word tells us, put on the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. How do we put it on? Well, there are six pieces of armor. We're going to briefly look at these. This could be several messages in itself. So we're going to kind of fly through them. But we stand firm with the first piece of armor, which is the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth tucked around your waist. Now this set of armor that Paul is writing about that God's word tells us about here is the armor that a Roman soldier wore. The belt of truth for the Roman soldier was a leather apron that secured the soldier's tunic and held the sword in place. And so this belt of truth, it speaks of honest character. It speaks of integrity in life. It speaks of your speech matching what your actions are. To put on the belt of truth is to put off hypocrisy. It's to put off deception. It's to put off all forms of lying. If the belt of truth is not worn, then Satan is going to be able to attack your character. And so, as a believer, put on the belt of truth in everything that you say and do. Next is the breastplate of righteousness, or the breastplate, I say, of righteous conduct. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate provided protection from the neck down to the upper thighs. All the vital organs were covered by the breastplate. It refers to righteous conduct. It refers to doing the things in life that Jesus would do. It refers to obeying God's word and following his word in our lives. The opposite of righteous conduct is unrighteous conduct, which is sin. And so sin opens the door for the enemy to attack us in vital areas because our breastplate of righteousness has not been put on. Next, it refers to our feet, say boots or sandals ready to go. Verse 15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So Roman soldiers wore what was called, described as hobnailed sandals. They had studs underneath. The last thing you want to do when you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat is slip and fall on your back. You'll be a goner then, wouldn't you? You have to have very secure footing. And so 
the Roman soldiers had these uh, cleated, studded sandals or types of shoe fittings that they wore. And so to put on those type of boots or sandals means to be steadfast in God's peace, to be ready to fight, to be alert, to be ready for whatever the devil may throw at you, to have our feet firmly planted on the rock of Jesus Christ, who is our firm foundation. Our whole lives must be based upon him and so that we have a firm, found, uh, a firm footing when we engage in warfare with the, with the enemy. Next, we take up the shield of faith. Verse 16, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, the Greek word for shield here, they had different kinds of shield, but this shield was a large shield. It was about two and a half feet wide. It was about four foot high. It was rectangular in shape. It was made up of layers of wood, bronze, and ox hide. And in battle, the soldiers would put these rectangular shields side by side, and they would form a wall uh, that was impenetrable from the front. Or they could raise them over their heads, and it would be a, a roof over their heads to protect them for arrows raining down. Before battle, the shield was soaked in water so that any flaming arrows that came and struck the shield would be extinguished. And so to take up the shield of faith is to be strong in your faith. It is to resist doubt of every kind. It is to have your mind fixed on the Word of God because faith comes from hearing God's word to be joined in your faith with others in your church so that your shields form a wall of protection around the family of believers. When Satan attacks with his flaming arrows, with his temptations, your shield of faith will protect you. The fifth part of the armor is the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Now again, Paul is writing to believers. They're already saved. So how do we take the helmet of salvation? The helmet of salvation, it protects our minds from the enemy's attack. It's a critical piece of armor. The helmet refers to our hope or our assurance of our final salvation, that we understand, that we believe, that we're working out this salvation, and we know as we follow God, this salvation will be complete one day. We're not always... Am I saved? Am I not saved? I don't know. We have an assurance of our salvation. The helmet of salvation protects us. And finally is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now this word in the Greek for sword refers not to a long sword that the Romans sometimes carried, but it refers to a short 12 to 14 inch dagger. It was used in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now this sword is referred to as the Spirit's sword. The Spirit's sword, and it is called the Word of God. Again, the Greek word for word here is not the usual logos of God, which refers to all of the Word of God, the whole Bible. The word here is in the Greek is rhema. It refers to a specific word spoken by the Spirit to us, through us, at a specific time in a specific circumstance. It refers to us hearing God's word and 
speaking that word in the midst, in the heat of battle, and so repelling the enemy. Stand firm as you put on the armor of God. Now, there are two extremes that people go to with respect to our battle with Satan. One extreme is to think that Satan is no match for you. And some people will speak on, I'm going to kick the devil, I'm going to stomp on the devil, you know, we're, you know, we're going to uh, just trash the devil. Now, God's word specifically, we don't have time to go into it, specifically tells us don't talk like that. Because the devil is very powerful. You are no match for the devil. And we are actually not to speak lightly of him. That is underestimating the enemy. When you underestimate the enemy in battle, what happens? You're going to end up being defeated. He's a very, very powerful enemy. The other extreme is to be fearful of Satan. Oh, he's so big. I can't do anything. He's going to get me. I'm afraid. I'm worried about what the devil is going to do to me. There's nothing I can do. And that's another of Satan's schemes to get you to either think he's nothing or to think he's everything. He's so powerful. One of Satan's schemes, the second one, is to get you to believe that he's even stronger than God, which, of course, is not true at all. It reminds me of a strategy that I, I've read about warfare. Thousands of years ago, there was a man named Alexander the Great who conquered many lands. And on one occasion, Alexander's army was in full retreat. He'd encountered a larger army, and he realized that he really couldn't engage them at this time. And so they began to retreat. And as they retreated, he, he, um, he gave orders for his armors to construct oversized breastplates, oversized helmets that would, feet, that would fit men seven to eight feet tall. And as they retreated, they left some of these pieces laying around. And so when the other army came chasing them, they saw this armor of these huge people. And it scared them. They said, we can't engage people this big. And so they gave up pursuing Alexander and his army. They became demoralized. And Satan tries to play head games with us as well, telling us how big he is, how bad he is, that any problem you have, you cannot overcome, you can't conquer, even with God's help, because Satan is so big. But he's really not that big at all. When we put on God's armor, when we fight him with the rhema word of God, when we hear God speaking to us and we speak with that word, we submit ourselves to God, we resist the devil, and the Bible tells us what will he do? He will flee. He will flee from us. We can put him to flight. As we put on the full armor, as we fight with the sword of the Spirit, the rhema or now word of God. And finally, the last important aspect of fighting the battle is to pray in the Spirit. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit with, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And so the final essential ingredient to fighting the battle is prayer. We put on this armor, but God's Word commands us to pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayer. What's important in a battle is communicating with the command, communicating with the commanding officer. Because he sees the whole battle. We just see our little part that we're fighting. But he sees the entire battle and he knows 
how we are to fight and what direction to go and what weapons to use. And so we pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit involves both talking to God and listening, particularly in the midst of a battle, so that we know which way to go, how to turn, how to fight. To pray in the Spirit means to pray empowered and directed by the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit can mean either praying with your spirit in an unknown language, or it can mean praying with your mind in a known language. Both of these are encompassed uh, in this phrase, praying in the Spirit. And what are we to pray about? Well, we're to pray for the church. Verse 18 continues with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. See, we're in the fight together. It's not just you and the devil. as the devil and his house against Jesus Christ in the church. And so we're to pray for other believers in the church. Each one of us is in a battle. And then we support each other through prayer. When we're under attack, when you're under attack, sometimes people try to fight the battle alone and they don't want anybody else to know that they're in a battle. That's very, very dangerous. Let somebody else know. Let other believers know so that they can pray for you, so that they can encourage you, so that they can support you. And please don't drop out. Sometimes when, of course, everybody who's here is here. <laughs> but sometimes when people get in a battle, they just kind of don't want to tell anybody else and they kind of hide. And we try, to, we try to go after them. And you can too if you don't see somebody for a while. Oftentimes they're in a battle. And they don't want other people to know. They're kind of embarrassed. Something isn't going quite right in their lives. Reach out to them. They need help. They need encouragement. And sometimes uh, they're not able to ask for that themselves. And so we try to support one another, engaging support of other prayer warriors. Not only are we to pray for the church, we are to pray for our witness. Paul goes on in verse 19, Pray also for me for whenever, that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. In other words, we are to pray for one another and for ourselves that we would have courage to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what the battle is all about, isn't it? To rescue people from the dominion of Satan. It's not just about preserving or protecting ourselves. And so that's what we are to pray in the Spirit for, for the church and for our witness. A man named Lee Eklov tells a story about the power of prayer in spiritual warfare. One night he was sound asleep and he heard the sound of a phone ringing. And so he was still kind of groggy and half asleep. He grabbed blindly for the phone and held it to his ear. And as he listened, he heard a menacing voice say, you thought we'd forgotten you. And then there was silence. And his mind raced. He's like, who could be calling me at this hour of the night? Who could be saying such a thing? And he began to be filled with fear and a sense of evil, something diabolical on the other end of the line. He was very frightened. And finally, he felt like he couldn't speak, but he simply blurted out the word Jesus. And as he spoke the name of Jesus, immediately the fear left him. And he woke up and he realized the phone was on the other side of the room. But what happened was more than a dream. He really felt the presence 
of the evil one. But now, he was filled with peace as the power of Jesus' name had caused that evil presence to flee. Sometimes you may wake up in the middle of the night. I certainly have and felt the presence of evil. And it could well be very real, perhaps not a dream. But as we call on the name of Jesus, evil will flee. And so fighting the battle with the evil one, it begins with being strong in the Lord. Strong in His power. Putting on the full armor of God each and every day so that we can stand firm. Communicating with our commander-in-chief so that we have battle directions. Which way to go, which way to stop, which way to turn as we pray in the Spirit. And our goal in the battle is to stand firm and to allow God to use us to rescue others from the dominion of Satan. So we look forward to many victories in the battle as we fight the battle together in God's power. This morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, if you're not sure that you're on or a member of the army of God, we want you to become part of God's army. I'm going to pray a simple prayer in which you give your life to Jesus as as your Lord, as your Savior, as your Commander-in-Chief by admitting that you've sinned, believing that Jesus died to forgive you, and committing your life to Him. So I'd like to ask us all to bow our heads right now and let's pray. This is also a good time to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Recommit yourself to the battle. Say something like this. Father, today I... I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I've followed the enemy's bidding. I've fallen into temptation repeatedly. But I believe that Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. I commit myself to following you, to following your way, to following your word all the days of my life. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for your strength. We thank you for your power that empowers us in the battle that we're engaged in. May we be alert to the enemy's schemes and not be deceived by him. May we not overestimate his power or underestimate him. Help us to remember to put on God's armor each and every day. May we learn to more accurately wield this sword of the Spirit that you've entrusted to us. May we speak the rhema or now word of God into every situation, having the word that you give to us to resist the devil. May we not pray simply for ourselves, but may we pray for fellow believers. May we stand together in the battle. May we sense your direction as we pray in the Spirit. And we thank you for the victories that have been won in the past and the victories that are being won today and the victories that you have in the future for us individually and for our church family, for the warriors here at Life Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.